Okay, so we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we've been in here for two months now, and we're ending chapter one. Now, before we get into the text, I want to kind of remind you why we're studying this book, what we're trying to get out of it. Especially with a long book like this, right? We've done eight sermons. We're done with one uh, chapter. It's really easy for us to kind of lose a sense of why we're studying this, to get caught up in the weeds and kind of like the details. We forget what the overall goal of why the Gospel of Mark was written. And so by way of reminder, I want to just give you two quick uh, goals that we have as we're studying this book. And what, what I had in mind when it came to choosing this book for our church uh, to study, okay? So first, really simple. There's two simple goals, and I always talk about it. First is to be like Jesus. Now, uh, a random fact about myself. Uh, I actually named myself, my English name, Andrew, okay? So when I moved to the States, I was four, and we moved into this really tiny apartment in Koreatown, Los Angeles. And in that apartment, there were a lot of families and kids that lived there. And according to my parents, there was this one older kid that I really, really looked up to. Like, I wanted to be just like him. And I guess I would just basically study him, observe him, and copy every single thing that he did. Uh, Even the way that he would chew his food. Uh, My mom hated it because he kind of chewed like a cow, where, you know, he's like mowing on it. Uh, it, was, it wasn't very pleasant. I don't do that anymore, okay? So don't look at me today when we eat burgers. Um, but guess what his name was? It was Andrew, right? And, you know, as silly as this example is, like this is really the goal of studying Jesus in this gospel. We want to imitate, observe, and study, and meditate on his ways and his life, what he does, what he doesn't, and imitate and become more like Jesus in our character and who we are. And so as we are thinking about these things, that's one category of how you're supposed to receive these sermons. How do I become more like Christ? In what areas of your life is there um, a discrepancy between Jesus and yourself in the way that you live, right? And so that's the first uh, goal, which is to be like Jesus. Now the second is to fall in love with Jesus, okay, to get to a place of worship, um, right on cue, when uh, Jesse and I, we were first dating, um, you know, most of our dates were, well, it's probably because we were broke, but we just went to coffee shops, and we just talked for hours and hours, and I don't know if, you know, for those of you guys who are dating, or have dated, or are married, you know, when you first get together, you just ask a lot of questions to one another, right? You want to know everything about that person, what they like, their different opinions on different issues, uh, different situations, uh, what, you know, what kind of food they love. Any and everything is, uh, is asked about the other person. And there's this curiosity that defines that relationship. And, you know, we would talk anywhere, any and anywhere, in person, on the phone. Uh, did you guys have AIM here? You guys know what AIM is? I need to work on my references. Okay. So you guys didn't have like screen names like AOL? Yeah, you guys, MSN. Oh, you guys did MSN. Wow. Okay. Okay. We would talk on there a lot. Um, and, you know, we would talk for hours with no idea of where the conversation was going. But our goal was just to really know one another. And the reason why is really so that you can fall in love with the other person more. To really know how to love them well to deepen your relation, your appreciation and gratitude for that person. 
And, you know, oftentimes when we come before sermons, the only thing we think about is how does this apply to me? What do I get out of it? And if I don't get anything practical, we think we didn't really get much. But I hope that your goal is not only application for your own life, but it's that you are seeking, that you have this curiosity about Jesus as you are studying the Gospel of Mark, and that it will lead you to more worship, to more gratitude to who Jesus is. Amen? All right. Okay, now let's get into it. Now, just as a quick review, um, so far in the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus, um, that the coming of Jesus marks a significant point in the history of mankind. Uh, because he is the promised Messiah uh, that was promised by the prophets in the Old Testament. Now, what's significant about, this, uh, about Jesus is that the promises say that this Messiah would usher in what's called the new exodus. That this is going to be a greater Moses who's going to bring freedom uh, from sin and slavery, uh, from uh, the addictions that we struggle with, and that we're going to find healing in all of uh, these things. And Jesus comes onto the scene, uh, his public ministry, and what is his main message? Is that the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And what this meant, uh, if you guys remember, is that God is going to come and he's going to reign over the world once again. And this idea of repentance is he wants you to lay down your life, the way that you lived your life, your agenda, and to live in according to the ways of Jesus and his kingdom itself, okay? That's my, that's my son right there. Um, now, right after this proclamation, uh, we saw a uh, string of stories of the signs of God's kingdom breaking into our world. We saw people being healed. We saw people being uh, freed from demon possession. We saw people being formed into a new community. And we even saw people getting their first sense of calling as he calls his first disciples. That was all just in chapter one, okay? Now, here in our passage this morning, we see a leper come to Jesus and he asks to be healed. Look what Mark writes. He says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, this sounds simple enough. Uh, it sounds just like any other healing stories that we've heard up to this point in the Gospels. But to really understand like, the gravity of this story, you have to put your feet into the shoes of the leper and inhabit the world that he lived in imagining what he would have gone through. Uh, as you guys know, leprosy was a skin disease that was incredibly feared in the ancient world. And people would get these skin lesions, these nodules, these bumps all over their body, uh, especially on their face, around their mouth, and all over their foreheads. And it, oftentimes these bumps would get infected. And so pus would start leaking all over their face. And it would get to the point where it would be very difficult to look at. And their bodies would also begin to uh, disintegrate, uh, where their hands and their feet would become deformed and shriveled, and even to the point where their toes and their uh, fingers would completely fall off. And people would actually suffer this way for up to 10 years before this disease would take over and they would die. Now, this sounds bad enough, but there's, there was also a social dimension to this disease 
that might have been even worse. Uh, If you guys read the Old Testament, you know that if you are a leper, that you are considered unclean. And what this meant is that the leper had to live outside the walls of the city in leper camps, away from their family, their friends, from their relationships, and all of their social connections were taken out. Because here's the thing, just having a chance encounter with a leper could make you unclean, not only in a social and spiritual level, but also physically. They believed that it was a really contagious disease and that it would come onto you as well. And so these lepers were not allowed to be in the vicinity of other people. Now, this is why it says in Leviticus 13, 45, it says, The leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long, he has, as, long as he has a disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So in other words, like this leper had to make himself look extremely torn down so that everyone knows that this is a leper. And he would have to cry out, unclean, unclean, whenever he would enter into a space with other people as a warning. Now, what's crazy is that these lepers were not even allowed into the synagogues. Uh, If they were, maybe they had a very lenient rabbi, they would actually have to come before anyone else came And when service started, they had to stand behind the screen away from the rest of the congregation. Now, I want you guys to put yourself into the shoes of the leper of this story. Right? The amount of physical and social and emotional torment he would have endured would have been profound. Where his own sense of worth and value would have been brutally stripped away uh, from all the years of, people li- of seeing people literally run away in disgust at the sight of their presence. I mean, can you imagine the shame that they would have experienced? And you actually see the weight of what he's gone through in the way that he approaches Jesus, right? When he comes to Jesus, he doesn't say, right? He doesn't, he, he said, Mark says he came imploring, like literally begging and kneeling before Jesus to make him clean. But more than even the kneeling, you could actually sense all that he's gone through in the words uh, when he asked Jesus. He doesn't say what, make me clean or heal me. What does he say? He says, if you will, you could make me clean. You see, his fear wasn't whether or not Jesus could or had the ability to heal him. It was whether would he want to. Would he be willing to? Or would he just run away just like every other person in his life has run away in disgust? Now, before we get to Jesus' response, I want to highlight the faith of this leper in the midst of all that he's gone through. As you guys know, the action of this leper was unfathomable. The fact that he would approach Jesus while unclean would have been breaking the Levitical laws. It would have been socially unacceptable. And he could have made Jesus, this rabbi, this leader in the religious community, unclean by his actions. And the only possible response from Jesus that the leper could imagine in the world that he lived in, this world that isolated him, this world that sees him more as a monster to be avoided than a person to be loved, the only expectation he could have had from Jesus was rejection. 
But what I love about the faith of this leper is that he does not allow physical or social or emotional or even religious fears and barriers keep him from coming to Jesus himself. He goes and he approaches Jesus anyways. And the thing is, Jesus' response would have been just as shocking. Instead of recoiling in fear out of maybe he might be unclean, what does it say? It says he was moved with pity. He stretched out his hands and he healed the leper. Now, there's a very important lesson to be learned here about our relationship to Jesus. And the lesson is, is that in the gospel, you do not have to clean yourself up before you approach and enter into a relationship with Christ. You do not have to clean yourself up in, before you approach Jesus. You know, um, we live uh, in a world where we're always kind of cleaning ourselves up in order to approach others. Uh, what's the first thing you wake up, right? You wash yourself up, you get dressed according to the person that you're meeting. And I'm not making a moral judgment on this. You know, it's not all bad. It's really good. But all this to say is that we live our lives kind of cleaning ourselves up in order to look presentable. And, you know, we will never show ourselves to others at our worst or when we're dirty and we're not groomed. Now, to take this a bit deeper, not only do we feel the need to uh, look presentable in our physical appearance, but we also feel the need to give off the image that we are put together that our life is not a mess, right? That we know where we're going with our lives. We know we have things going on. I mean, I don't know if you noticed this, but when you ask someone how they're doing, what's the answer that every single person gives you no matter who it is? It's always, oh, I'm doing okay, but just so busy, right? And busy is our culture's way of saying we have things going on in our lives, right? We have direction. We have things put together. We will never let people know that we don't have much going on. You know, even in our work, we have to present the best version of ourselves. In our work, in our resumes, in our interviews, we have to almost hide our limitations and our weaknesses. And for, for many of us, even in front of our closest friends. And all this to say is that, and when you think about it, all this to say is that we feel this need because we want to be accepted by our friends, our spouses, our work, the companies that we want to work for. We present the best version of ourselves as a way to be accepted. Many of us would never approach others at our worst. We want to clean ourselves up first. And the thing is, this bleeds even into our relationship with God. You know, many of us have remained distant from God because we don't feel presentable yet. We don't feel holy enough yet. We're still in that cycle of sin. We're still struggling with that addiction. We're still um, struggling with that guilt and that shame. And there's this fear of rejection and punishment from God. And a lot of us, we think to ourselves, God can't accept me like this. I have to do more religious things. I have to give some time for my last big sin to feel at ease in the presence of God. But don't you see in, through this story that that is not how God reacts to our uncleanness? I want you to listen up here. What we see in this story is that Jesus is a type of God who does not recoil from our uncleanness 
and our brokenness and our sins, but he actually runs to it. Okay, I want you to read what it says. When the leper approaches Jesus in all his uncleanness, right, it doesn't say that he was disgusted and he took a step back, but what does it actually say? He says what? He was moved with pity, he stretched out his hands, and he touched him. You see, the remarkable thing is that Jesus does not only just do the minimum, just to kind of get the leper away from him, all right, let me just heal him real quick, and let me kind of keep my reputation that I'm loving and kind of go away. But he actually goes beyond what he needs to do. And we know this because Jesus didn't have to touch him to heal him. Up to this point in the gospel story, he always spoke healing into existence. But for some reason, he touches the leper. And do you know why? Not only was this a symbol of his love, but he knew that the leper was suffering not only physically, but also emotionally and socially. Remember, the leper has lived in isolation all, for so many years. Without, away from community, away from his friends, away from anyone that would show any type of affection and love. And research has shown that you need eight to 10 meaningful touches a day in order to remain emotionally healthy. And this leper has probably lived for years and years without the meaningful touch of a loved one. He probably forgot what it felt like to be touched. And Jesus, knowing this, stretches out his hands to heal not only the painful sores all over his body, but to heal the emotional wounds of his isolation. Can you imagine the shock and the love that he might have experienced when Jesus actually touched him? I mean, we know he was ecstatic because later on he disobeys Jesus. Jesus tells him, don't tell anyone. And the first thing he does is he freely tells everyone because he can't believe what has just happened to him. Someone touched him. Someone healed him. He can have restoration. See, this is the kingdom of God. He doesn't restore him only physically, but he restores him holistically in his relationships, in his social life, and emotionally. All of it has been restored by God. You see, this is the type of God that we serve. You know, I know that, you know, what, through the years of ministry, one of the biggest things I always hear from people is they feel like they can't really approach God because they're not at that place yet, because they are still addicted. But don't you see that this is the type of God that we serve? He does not need you to clean yourself up before you come to him. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus is always with the unclean people. He's in the house of prostitutes and tax collectors, the marginalized. He even washes the most unclean part of his disciples' body, when he gets down on his knees and washes the feet of his disciples. And what's, what's interesting is that the people he's most distant from are the people who are quote-unquote clean, the religious leaders. Jesus can't help but to be attracted to brokenness and to sin and to those who are unclean. You know, in the years that I've done ministry, a trend that I've noticed is that people grow only at one when this one thing happens in their life, when they come to the end of themselves, when they come to that point where they are beyond the point of cleaning themselves up. They tried all sorts of things, but they, there is a moment where they experience a desperation, much like the lepers, 
And they, not only theologically or mentally, but in depths of their soul, recognize that they can no longer clean themselves up. They can't put up a front any longer. And the only prayer that arises out of them is, God, only you can make me clean. Have you come to that point in your life yet? You see, the truth is the leper could never make himself clean. Medicine wasn't advanced enough, right? People wouldn't even be near him. There is nothing else he could have done. And this is the beauty of the story. What's interesting about this story is that in the Old Testament, the reason why the Levitical laws were so harsh, where they had to live outside of Jerusalem, is not because God was mean. It's because literally they didn't have enough um, advancement in medicine. And so if one person got affected, it would just spread throughout the whole uh, community, right? And what, the reason why is every time in the Old Testament, when unclean and clean came into contact, it was always the unclean that transferred over to the other person. But in this story, for the first time in history, when unclean and clean came into contact, it was the clean that transferred over and cleaned up the unclean person. You see, this is what it means, that when we are unclean, it is foolish for us to remain distant from God. We need to come into contact with Christ. We need to draw closer to him when we are in our brokenness and in our filth. You know, um, I was like going back and forth on how I wanted to kind of end this. Um, and I was just kind of like praying uh, I don't know why, but I just felt like God didn't want me to write anything. I felt like he wanted to, like, say something. And I don't know, this could, it's kind of related, but I just feel like this is something that God wants to say uh, this morning. I think the truth is all of us are unclean. We're all broken. And we are at the, we cannot make ourselves clean. All right? And I would say that all of us, just like the leper, uh, maybe not as dramatically, but we've all gone through things. We all have wounds. We all have pains, physical, emotional, social, and it's shaped your life. And I would say there's a, a psychologist by the name of Ernest Becker. He makes the point that all of us have a salvation project, right? Some of our salvation project is we want to get that job because we think that's going to save us and heal us and make us clean. Some of us are looking for that perfect relationship because we think that's going to heal us and make us whole and make us clean. But I want to remind you that the only thing that could clean you up, the only thing that can make you whole is coming into contact with Jesus himself. I want to encourage you to stop running to other things. See, the, see, the one thought that I had was, um, I feel like in your age, uh, I can't believe I'm like 10 years older than some of you, but so old. Um, but at your age, let me tell you the one mistake that I made, okay? The mistake that I made was, I focused primarily on the external things too much. Whether it was school, whether it was relationships, whether it was 
um, work or career. Because one thing that I'm learning, and maybe the older people can confirm this too, is really your inner self that's going to affect everything in your life. Okay? And what I've noticed is that people don't get to that point where they realize that until they're in their like 40s and 50s, until their relationships are broken, until these things happen. And I think what, I want, what I'm trying to say is, at your age, right now, what's most important is that you really wrestle with those unclean parts of your life and come before God and allow him to make you clean, to work through those things, to allow him to touch those parts of your life. Because some of you, you're too busy doing other things that you never enter into that space with Christ. Your life is too busy and too much in a hurry that you never slow down enough for Christ to actually touch you and to heal you. But I just sense that God is inviting you into that space in this life right now. And maybe one practical suggestion I could give to you is, in your prayer times, stop praying religious prayers. Come raw before the Lord. Present to him the most broken and unclean parts of who you are. And allow him to stretch out his hands and touch you, to heal you, and to make you whole. Okay, let's pray.